Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. How many of you brought a Bible with you today? Either paper, digital, we're going to have everything up on the screen. I have a lot of scripture to go through today. Today's the last message in a series we've been doing called A Transformed Life. And my message for you today is you are new and you're destined to conquer. You are new and you're destined to conquer. Amen? You know, there's a lot of you that are here that are newer, so you wouldn't know my testimony. So I want to share an element about my testimony as I I talk about transformation today. And uh, so I'll just start with this. My mom got pregnant with me at 14 years old and had me at 15. And my dad was 17 and 18 when I was born, and he was a drug addict and a convict, and my mom was a young girl, and uh, they lived a crazy, crazy life. And I was separated from my father when I was about five and a half years old, and I was reunited with him when I was 19, and he'd become a preacher. And that's a pretty cool story. And there's a lot to that story. But at age 19, after going down a very similar road that he that he had gone down, going down the road of addiction, going down the road of crazy living, uh, I had a really profound encounter with Jesus Christ, and he began to change my life. And there were some things that he changed immediately, like they fell off of me. And I can only give him credit because I had tried in my own energy, and I had tried in my own strength to quit doing some of the things I was doing, and I couldn't do it. And when Jesus became real to me and his presence and his power came over me and he liberated me, he liberated me from a number of addictions. I remember one of the first things that happened is he liberated my mouth because my main descriptor word for most everything was the F word. And I, all of a sudden, it's like he touched my lips and I, I quit talking like that, quit, quit you know, having that language. But anyway, as he began to work in my life, I faced that moment that all of us will face multiple times, sometimes daily, but that moment that was a key moment in my new journey with Jesus Christ where I was tested, where I was tested in my transformation. Is, is God really real in my life? Now, I've been telling all my friends, I'm changed, Jesus is real. I was preaching to all of them, you know, just overzealous, probably very unwise, and yet I, I was in love. I'd been rocked. And I was telling all my friends about Jesus and and then one time I went to a movie, and, and I'm going to really date myself here, and, and some of you are going to understand why I don't have any hair now, but I, uh, I went to see a movie. I went to a drive-in theater. Yeah, there you go. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, well, he is old. Okay, and uh, I was just out of high school, and I went to this drive-in theater. I was with my friends Robert and Greg, and they were my party buddies, and we were sitting in this drive-in, and you know what we were watching? The first Terminator and I remember at the time, I'm a new Christian, I remember at the time, everything, I, I, everything that I saw was messianic, if you know what I mean. Like, all I could see, I know it was violent, and I know there was language, and there were, there were lots of inappropriate things in that movie, but I remember all I could see was, this is so messianic, like Jesus, and, and conquering evil, conquering the machines, and yeah, and somebody comes back, and they're born into this time, and I was just, that's all I could see. And while I was sitting there watching the movie... I heard my friends, I was in the back seat, they were in the front, and I heard them chopping stuff up. And all of a sudden, one of them reached back and, and put a mirror in front of me. And on that mirror were lines of cocaine and handed me a bill that was rolled up. 
And I remember as it came into my hands and I looked down at it and I looked up at the movie, I heard these words inside of me, that's not you anymore. And I knew right at that moment the Holy Spirit was talking to me. And that's not your identity. That's not who you are anymore. And there was that moment where I took that mirror and I passed it up front and I said to the guys, I hear you go, guys, um, that's not me anymore. I said that to them. And I remember at the moment I said that, I was flooded internally with a sense of joy. And I know that was the pleasure of God. God was smiling in the moment. He was like, good job, son. You passed the test. You made it through that moment. And what I want to share with you today is some tools and some strategies for remembering that you're destined to conquer. I want to talk to you in the same way that I at that moment had to know my identity to overcome the temptation. You also... Wow, that's okay. it's my wife. <laughs> Sorry, she is going to be on me for that. The last thing in the world she likes me to do is draw attention to her for something. So, but this is actually a strategic moment. Please silence your cell phones. Come on, do it. Okay, so... You know, many people wonder why it's still so hard to walk in the victory of Jesus after they've believed in him. If I'm new, this is what will reason, why is it so hard to overcome certain sins, behaviors, habits, and addictions? Sometimes it can lead to doubting your salvation experience or living under constant guilt, shame, and condemnation. Today, I want to share a how-to message, not, not formulas, but just some reminders, some important things to remember. If you're a follower of Jesus already, if you're not, you're going to learn about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I want to help you prepare for the long battle ahead in your life because I want you to know something. If you're a Christian, you're in for a long battle. You're going to fight a war for the rest of your life. Well, I thought if we were Christians, we're in peace. Well, you are. You're in eternal peace in your union with Jesus Christ. That's what gives you peace. But you're at war with three enemies, and we're going to talk about a couple of those enemies today. I hope that you'll grasp the amazing grace and love of God toward you, that you will understand that you are the beloved of God, and that you'll come away with a new confidence that you can win this war and ultimately triumph over whatever it is that plagues your walk with Jesus. I want to share some spiritual strategies with you. Amen? Uh, the first thing I want to share is what I already started with, and, and this isn't the strategy, this is just a reminder, but that is that we have a long war ahead of us to conquer sin in our lives. You know, this isn't the case with everybody, but many people I know who first come to faith in Jesus Christ are astounded at, at, all of, at how it just seems like you're, you're just bared up in the arms of God. And, and before you even pray a prayer, it seems like it's answered. And, and things seem to be pretty easy. And you, you recognize that you don't even battle with the things you used to battle with. And you feel almost like you're walking on clouds. And you, you wrongly assume that this is the way it's going to be for the rest of my life. This is easy. I'm just flowing and going. This is cool. With God. I like this. And really what you're experiencing is the same thing a baby experiences. If you know about how, a, you know, when a baby is born, baby is completely dependent. The baby must be fed and 
have their diaper changed and, and be put to bed and be cared for continually. And that's what happens. In fact, the scripture says when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's a new birth. You're born a second time, born anew, born from above, born again. That's what the scripture teaches. So you go through a new birth and you don't realize it, but you're just kind of being carried and bore up. But there comes a time when God begins to say, I want you to walk. And he lets you fall. He doesn't, you know, grab you and bring you up. He lets you fall. He lets you experience the journey of growing, of getting spiritual muscles, of beginning to develop your coordination. He, he wants you to be able to walk strong in him. And that's, that's a process. And during those times, you don't feel that same sense of grace. And many people then begin to wonder, has God left me? Did I do something wrong? Have I sinned against him? Is he mad at me? None of the above. It's your growth. It's your growth and his care for you. He wants you to mature and grow up in him. Amen. But there's a long war. And so what, what happens is you, you get into this journey and you begin to recognize that there's still some stuff in your life that needs to change. There's still things that cause you to stumble. You're still being drawn and attracted and you and you wrongly believe that because it's a battle and because you're attracted and because there's temptation, you assume then that something must be wrong with you. You must not be a very good Christian because you battle internally. Maybe you're sinning. Maybe you've blown it. Maybe God's not with you anymore. And that is a lie. The truth is you're in a war. You're in a battle. You have an enemy of your soul. You have carnal, inward fleshly, sinful desires still battling inside of you. And that's what we're going to look at. I want you to see Galatians 5, 16, and 17. This is in the New Living Translation. Look at it with me. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Oh, that's good. That's easy. Wait. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. So you have the Spirit in you, you're also still dealing with the sinful nature. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. That doesn't mean you can't do what you want to do. Ultimately, what it means is you're not able to go toward those things that are good and righteous and holy without resistance. And here's what we have to see. Resistance is not evidence that you're doing something wrong. Resistance is evidence that you're doing something right. Resistance and the struggle shows that you care about what's righteous and what's holy. You see, before a person follows Jesus Christ, they are bent towards sin and unrighteousness. And what I mean by that is you don't have the spirit of God living inside of you. You automatically move toward what is evil and you turn toward what is good at times. Okay, you, you have like moments of repentance toward what is good, but you're drawn and you're bent in this direction. When the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you and you begin to walk with him, a change, an essential change happens inside of you and your bent is toward wanting to do what's right and now suddenly you care about righteousness and being holy and doing the right thing and pleasing God, but you're still drawn the other direction. And that struggle is normal and that struggle is evidence of God's work inside of you. In fact, the fact that you feel guilt, the fact that your heart breaks over what you do, that is evidence of the Holy Spirit indwelling you and God's love being in you because now you care about what God cares about. Before, you didn't. 
Am I talking to anybody? Okay. So there are these two natures warring inside of us. A person who has an experience in new birth in Christ is operating only under the power of the sinful nature. Though there is a built-in spiritual element to all human beings, even those without Christ, um, it is darkened by original sin and not alive to God. A certain hunger exists within for spiritual experiences, but without divine intervention, that spiritual element remains dead. It's like a flashlight without batteries. We have this spiritual equipment within, but it's not connected to the source, which is God himself. See, if I had a giant, I meant to bring one and then I forgot about it, but if I had a giant flashlight up here and I had the batteries removed from it, I could stand here in front of you all day long and I could click that thing on and off and it would never shine light on you. And yet built into it are all the electronics and the light bulb and everything necessary to bring light to you except what? Power, energy, the source. And that's what a human being apart from Christ is like. We have this spiritual equipment inside of us. We are created as spiritual beings, but we don't have the source. We don't have the battery. We don't have the life of God. C.S. Lewis said that we are created to run on God as our fuel. Human beings must be fueled by God. We can't be fueled by anything else. And that's why sex, drugs, rock and roll, addictions, and all of it ultimately leave us empty because none of it was what we were created to run on. It would be like, you know, sticking really bad stuff in your gas tank and then trying to drive down the road. Eventually, the engine's going to conk out and die. Humans were created to be fueled by God, by the presence of God. Amen? Does that make sense? Okay. So the sinful nature what some translations call the flesh, the carnal appetites. This carnal sinful nature, these appetites war in our minds and our bodies. The thing within us that's always craving, unsatisfied, empty, lusting, coveting, and unhappy. The sinful nature is in rebellion to God and wars against him. It's always fighting for its way. It's that thing inside of us that says, mine. Oh, my. That's, you know, Gollum is a great picture of the carnal nature. What happens to a person given over to the sin nature? After time, the ring corrupts, right? And that's what happens. Power corrupts. The sinful nature corrupts when we give ourselves over to it for a long, long time. And that thing inside of, it that wants, uh, inside of us that wants the world to revolve around us, that can think of nothing but ourselves continually, that thing is the thing that Jesus came to displace and heal, to make us love others and love God. And in so doing, we really learn to love ourselves. Amen? Then there's the spiritual nature. When a person is born again, they're plugged into the source and their inner person that was made for union with God comes alive and turns on. This new spiritual nature is filled with the Holy Spirit himself and has desires for love, for grace, for holiness, for obedience, for good works, for selfless love, for prayer, scripture, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. See, we, we, when we have the Holy Spirit indwell us, the Holy Spirit gives us holy desires, right? And so suddenly we care about what's important. We care about the real stuff. And, and that's God's nature in us. And that's what God wants us to live in. He wants us to live led by and empowered by the Holy Spirit. But what are some things we can do? What are some strategies? What are some weapons 
that we can engage with in order to live that transformed life. I want to talk about six, and I know you're going, oh my goodness, six. Yes, we're going to get through it, believe it or not. God is a God of miracles, and you're about to see one right in front of your eyes. Amen. So the first one, if you're a note taker, is this. Revive your courage and rise up again. What do I mean by that? Revive your courage and rise up again. Proverbs 24, 16 says this. For the righteous falls seven times. Can we put that text up there? The righteous falls seven times and rises again. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Did you see what I just saw? The righteous falls. Wait, 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 wait. The righteous falls. I want you to think about that. But the righteous falls seven times and rises again. And rises again. This is a long-term battle. Now, there is a false teaching out there of Christian perfectionism. And this teaching basically says that it's possible. Just get filled with the Holy Spirit enough and follow God enough and you can live sinlessly. And, and conceptually speaking, yes, it's true. Let me, let me put it this way. If you follow the Holy Spirit all the time and do what he says, you can live sinlessly. And now let me tell you the track record of humanity. Nobody has ever done it in human history except Jesus. Okay, so there is an inevitability. This doesn't, this doesn't excuse sin. It doesn't say it's okay, go out there and sin because it's going to happen anyway. I'm not saying that. But what I am telling you is it is inevitable that you're going to fall short of the glory of God, that you're going to miss the mark, right? Probably several times today. Some of you are getting angered by that. Think about it. Every little cross remark to your spouse or one of your children or somebody, you know, you go to a, a, a restaurant and you treat the server badly. Um, you have an attitude, you, that person cuts you off, and you might, it might not come out of your word. You might say, fudge. But we all know what was really in your mouth and what was really in your heart. See, we're going to blow it in the course of the day, but here's the beauty. The righteous falls and they get back up. Get 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 up now! Okay. So that was seven, get up. Because we fall seven times, we get back up. And that's the reality of our life. You see, every time you return to the foot of the cross and you claim the sacrifice of Jesus for your sin and failure, you win. So you failed in the same sin a thousand times. Get up. And claim the cross. Ask God to rescue you. Seek him for a changed heart and changed desires. But get up. Listen, I remember years ago, I was struggling in an area in my life. And I felt a lot of shame about it. And I'm just like, am I ever going to overcome in this area of my life? And I was on my knees, literally. I think I was down here at the church somewhere. And I was praying. And I was crying out to God. And I was asking him to deliver me. And, and, uh, and I was just like, gosh, Lord. And you know, you know how it is. I was trying to pay for my own sin by showing God how sincere I was. Kind of, you know, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Lord, I'm terrible. Whoosh, I'm, so, I'm so bad. Whoosh. 
I keep blowing it. You must be sick of me. You must be tired of me. You must not love me. And I was just, you know, before him, and I heard the still small voice of the Holy Spirit within. You can do that. This is a real thing. And I heard the Lord say, isn't this what I died for? Wait, what? what? This is why I died. Quit trying to pay for your own sin. And I just began, it began to hit me. That's why the cross is there. Didn't I die for sinners? Didn't I die for people who blow it? I, you, you quit trying to pay for your own sin. You get up and claim what I did for you. And I remember at that moment in my mind, it became real. And I, I began to, I, I began, to, I went to the cross and I began to tell the Lord all the great things he'd done for me. And I began to remind really my own soul, but I was reminding him, Jesus, this is why you died. You came and died for the sins of the world and you died for my sins. And you said in your word that if I will confess my sin, you are faithful and just to forgive my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I'm not gonna try to pay for it. And I'm not gonna keep feeling bad for days and let shame be on my life. I'm gonna claim the blood of Jesus and I'm gonna accept your love and your grace because this is what you did for me. And the more I proclaimed what he did, the happier I got. But see, some people will say, well, that you're just sinning. You're just thinking that you can sin that grace may abound. No, I'm not saying any such thing. I'm saying that Jesus Christ died for sin. Why wouldn't I claim his cross? Why wouldn't I run to the cross instead of hide from him? I'm done doing what Adam and Eve did. I'm done hiding among the trees of the garden and sowing fig leaves on and covering up myself in my own religion. I am running to the tree of life. Amen. Secondly, remember that you are a new person. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 18 says, so we have stopped evaluating ourselves. Excuse me, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Can we get that up there? 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 18. We have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. What is the apostle saying? The apostle is saying, that at some point in the past, the, the other apostles and those who knew Jesus as he walked the earth knew him from a merely human point of view. And it took a revelation from God, from the Father, for them to recognize that he was Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the Lord of all. It took all of the work of the Holy Spirit in his resurrection before they saw him. And now he's saying, I don't see Jesus any longer merely from a human point of view. And then he says this. That means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Wow. Now listen, believing that you have or remembering that you're a new person doesn't mean you deny your past. I'll hear some people apply this scripture this way. I'm a new person. The old has passed away. I don't want to look at the past. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm not that person. Well, then why do all those things from your past keep plaguing your human relationships? Why do you keep treating people badly? Because that's what you learn from your parents. See, that's not, Paul isn't saying we're not going to have struggles from the past any longer. But what he is saying is in the essence of who you are, at the root of your personhood, Inside of you, the spirit is indwelling and you're a new person, you're, in re you're redeemed and you're on your way to looking more and more like Jesus Christ. You're a new person with a new identity. You see, 
We have to be intentional about remembering and reminding ourselves that we're new. Like a coach reminding a player that his failures don't define him, we must remind ourselves that being a son or daughter is what defines us, not our sin, not our failure. The very best elite athletes recover and learn quickly from their failures. I, I know that right now in Seattle and even in Denver, Russell Wilson is not very liked. But one of the things I always remember about Russell in his days in Seattle uh, if you're not a football fan, you won't know what I'm talking about, but he was our quarterback at the Seattle Seahawks, was Russell had the ability. I remember one game he threw multiple interceptions and he was terrible. I remember the next game he came out and he played as though it never happened. He had, he had yeah, he had athletic amnesia. And, and that's the way we have to approach our walk with Jesus Christ. Our failures and our sins don't define us. Our new life in Jesus Christ do. You are a different kind of person. You're not who you used to be. Even though all kinds of evidence may be contrary to that in your life, you are new. Amen. If you belong to Christ, you're a new creation. Number three, restore your heart in confession and community. Look at these two scripture texts, James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. That you may be healed. Sorry, that you may be healed. Wow. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, look at this, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful. He's just. He's going to do it. So as we confess our sins to God and each other and pray for each other, healing life flows into us and we're strengthened for future battles. We need each other to confess to and pray for. When a church family is safe enough to confess our sins and weaknesses to, God can bring great healing to our lives. That's why we have to have the kind of community that's safe. And I'm not talking about having, you know, I'm not saying you got to come up front and tell everybody your business. I'm saying that God wants to bring you friends. He wants to bring you family members. He wants to bring you people right here in this room that you can connect with in a, in, in a way that is safe. And you can say, these are the things I struggle with. Will you pray for me? These are the areas I'm sinning. Will you pray for me and pray that I'll be healed? Because you'll notice something throughout the gospels. You'll notice that Jesus many times, when somebody came to him needing a physical healing, Jesus said to them, first, your sins are forgiven you. And when their sins were forgiven, then he said, take up your mat and walk. And they walked and they were healed. Because forgiveness and healing are always connected. Okay, so we are a community of faith. And God has called us to, to at times, get together and say, this is my stuff. Why? Because we need somebody that's going to call us on it. And we need somebody that's also going to encourage us. Don't give up. Get up again. You fell down. Get back up on your feet. Keep walking. Don't quit. And let me pray for you that you may be healed. Because we know, Amen. We know sin, it damages us, right? When we sin, it, it, it does violence to our souls, to our being, sometimes to our bodies. And so we need brothers and sisters who will pray for us that God will heal us. Am I talking to anybody? And God has promised to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number four, remind yourself that God lives in you. That God lives in you. First John 4, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people. Those people were the people who had left Christianity and were now critics of it and had become 
uh, he, as John says, they were under the spirit of Antichrist, okay? So he says, uh, you've already won the victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. There's a spirit in our world. There's an age that we live in. There's this word world that's used throughout the New Testament. It's not speaking of the planet. It's not speaking of the earth. It's speaking of the systems, the systems of our age that are arrayed against God, that have a value system that is antithetical to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, values that are trying to redefine our identity, redefine our sexuality, redefine what we believe is good or right or holy or just. We have a system and, and we live in an age when there are forces at work continually trying to grab a hold of our brains and shape our thinking in a way that is against God's holiness. And we have to recognize that. And that's one of the main enemies that we face. And the scripture says the spirit in us is greater than that spirit. So how many of you have ever, let's be honest, how many of you have ever felt a little discouraged because you feel like our culture is overwhelming to your family, your life? You just feel like we can't beat this. Okay, let me tell you something. According to this text, we can beat it. Okay, and I'm not saying taking on an us versus them or a, a, an adversarial view of people. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the value systems. I'm talking about the spirit of our age that is evil. The stuff that's coming out of our TVs and coming out of our, of our devices continually that's forming and shaping our value systems and the way we look at the world and the way we look at people and the way we look at life, all of it is doing this to our brains, conforming and shaping. And the scripture says we have to be transformed, amen? amen? And number five, that takes me to the next one, renew your mind in God's word and Holy Spirit. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, means pressed into a mold, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Ephesians 2, excuse me, Ephesians 4, 21 through 24. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes put on a new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So our job is God has come to live inside of us and we have a new nature inside of us. What he wants us to do, this is kind of a cool word picture if you can catch it. He wants us to reach in to the new garments that we have within and kind of pull them out and they're beautiful garments of light and purity and holiness and a new nature and he wants us to put them on and live differently. But before we do that, we gotta take off the old garments the old garments that are corrupting and decaying. We have to remove them from our bodies. We have to remove them from our mind. We have to get them out of our life, those systems that are forming and shaping us, and we have to embrace a new kind of clothing. We put it on from within by the Holy Spirit. We think differently and we live differently in Jesus Christ. Amen? And we let the Spirit renew our minds. We renew, we renew our minds by the memorization, the meditation, the reading of Scripture and prayer and being with people in community and spending time with God in silence and solitude and, and just being with God and recognizing His presence and asking Him to show us the world and people and His creation through His eyes, the way He sees it all. When we do that, He begins to renew our thinking and we, we see the world differently. We see people differently. Amen. And lastly, 
We refocus on Jesus' victory over our sin. Colossians 2, 14 and 15. One of my favorite texts of scripture, look at this with me. Colossians 2, 14 and 15, verse 14. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Then look what happened because of that. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Let me illustrate this. You and I, all of us in this room, every human being from all time through all eternity, have a whole long list of charges against us. I told the first service for me, I'll just speak for myself, if, if uh, all the sins that I've ever committed in my life were put on a scroll, we'd have this giant scroll up here that I probably couldn't hold, we'd need a couple of people, one on each end, and it would probably be on a roller dowel, and then I would take my scroll, and I would throw it down and roll it out, and this thing would take off, and it would go through those doors, it would go out the front door, it would continue across the street, jump the curb, and go through that alley, and it would continue all the way through Moses Lake, it would take off down I-90, and probably hit Seattle, and that would be Doug Sherman's life, and all of those charges, all those places I've broken God's commandments, all those places I've offended a holy God, all those things would be the charges that would be against me. If I had to stand on my own two feet. But the scripture says that Jesus, when he was crucified, took that scroll and nailed all those charges to the cross and bore them in his own body on the tree and took my sin and debt. And I no longer have a scroll of sin any longer. It's gone. And he removed mine and yours and all of us who trust in him. He removed our scroll. He removed the charges. And when he did that, something profound happened. The powers of darkness, the spiritual powers in the atmosphere of our earth, the enemy, yeah, we talk about, believe it or not, there's a devil. <laughs> there are spiritual forces arrayed against us. It was through removing the charges that the adversary is crushed and defeated and the serpent is crushed underfoot and God wins the battle. Amen? Amen? The charges are removed. The enemies cast down. Jesus and his people win. We conquer. We overcome. He canceled those charges when he died on the cross. When he canceled them, he disarmed the spiritual powers of evil and shamed them by his victory on the cross. And what was the heading of that? Refocus on Jesus' victory. You see, some of you in this room right now are focused on your failure, your sin, your continual falling down. You feel like you can't ever beat that thing. Or you're focused on other people's sin. Or what, I don't know. But what I want to tell you today is it's time to refocus. It's time to turn and look at the beauty of a cross. You know, this cross is pretty cool. If you never get a chance to see it, it's filled with nail holes. Because years ago, we used to have these things called encounter retreats. And at the end of the encounter retreat, people would go through a, like an inventory. And they would identify their sins and their family patterns. And they would go through all that stuff. And at the end of it, they would fill it out. And then we would have a service. We actually would lay down two crosses up here. The other crosses in the back back there. We'd lay them down up here. And in the midst of worship, people would take those inventories of their stuff. Fold them up 
and put them in an envelope and we'd make our way down to the front and everybody would get a hammer and a nail and we'd nail those things to the cross. All the charges against us. Bam. Bam. And then after we'd worship for a while, we'd go and take that inventory down off the cross and we'd take it out in the back and we had a barbecue back there. And we had barbecue sin. We cooked it up real good and we did not eat it. We cooked it till it was ashes and there was nothing left. Jesus removed your sin debt and all the charges against you. And he's given you tools and you can be transformed and you can be changed. And it's all because of him. It's all him. All of this is him. He's the story. He's the victor. He's the conqueror. He's the lamb, the lover of our soul. He passionately loves you. You don't have to lose the battle. You've already won it. Amen?